The thing is, I, I don't fall in love like that. I know people say, oh, but you never know, you can just meet mm. someone. But if someone is not a Muslim and there's no interest and they don't live an Islamic life, I'm like, already we're not going to be compatible. So whatever I'm feeling right now is just lust. Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the next episode of Influence Me with me, Shaney Ryan. With 45% of the world's population now using social media on a daily basis, we are now more and more influenced by the people that we follow. But social media is such a tricky space to figure out what's real and what's in the highlight reel. So I wanted to create this podcast to dig really deep and get to know the people we look up to and get to know the person behind the digital fame. With this podcast, I'm going to introduce you to some incredible people with amazing journeys and stories to share that you can either relate to or be inspired inspired by. Welcome to Influence Me. Today's guest is the world's first hijab-wearing model after fronting a campaign for H&M. She is an international public speaker, which has seen her deliver an inspirational TED talk on changing the face of fashion in front of thousands of people at London's O2 Arena. She's worked for Miu Miu and Gucci in Dubai, shot a Fenty Beauty campaign with Rihanna in California and been a key face at Modest Fashion Week. She spends a larger portion of her time than most people working with charitable causes focusing on the well-being of women and children. Her sense of style is absolutely stunning and adored by 88,000 plus Instagram followers. And I personally love her red carpet look so much that she makes wearing a hijab appear almost to be a fashion statement. Although through her consistent messaging, her public speaking, she makes sure that people are never confused with how seriously she takes her religion and what the hijab truly represents. And that is her modesty and most of all her class. She is one of the most genuine and kind women I've ever met in the crazy world in which we call the entertainment industry. She's someone I know I can discuss any subject with and despite her being a Muslim woman and me being a non-Muslim woman, we simply have a great love and respect for the fact that at the end of the day, we're just two women who really get along. Please welcome to my sofa and to influence me, Maria Drissi. Thank you so much. I mean, no. I've been waiting for a long time for us to have this chat in general. I feel like we've tried to kind of do that home. Let's grab dinner, let's yeah. do coffee. And it just never happens because we're both really, really busy. So at least we're making it happen today. Yeah. And definitely. I want to I want to go way back to the beginning. Um, and hopefully today is not too testing for you because you've literally just stepped off two flights. Uh, Zanzibar <laughs> and... Uh, Bosnia. Bosnia. Yeah. So the jet lag is real. Mm-hmm. But I want to start straight away with the now famous campaign that yes. you did for H&M. That was your first experience as a model, right? You yeah. hadn't been a model before then. So how did you get no. the job in the first place? It's insane because it's been four years and it's so funny. That's always like my starting point in conversation. Yeah. Um, I think that just shows like the impact of it, which I was not Absolutely. ready for at all. Um, I was scouted in a shopping centre. So I was working part-time in this uh, children's shop called Trotters. Okay. And a casting director called Coralie, she came up to me and said, can I take a photo of you? I just put on my books. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, normally someone's like, can I take yeah. a photo of you? You're like, what? And she goes, no, no, I've got... And then she explained, obviously, her background, what she does. And then a few weeks later, she got in touch and said, H&M want to use you for a campaign. And because my background before fashion was in film, so I wanted to be an actress and produce. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know. That's cool. I can yeah. I can do an advert, even yeah. though I wanted her to be a casting director for film opportunities, but you know whatever. Yeah, you're like I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, cool. I thought I'm gonna be an extra. Nothing 
too big. I didn't expect a lot of money at all. So just went for it, thought nothing of it. And then, um, yeah, like the, a few months after in September, there was like headlines saying meet the world's first hijab wearing model. And at that time, my Instagram was private. It was only for personal use. Mm. I had like 200 followers. And I just kept getting all these like inbox requests to, to, to uh, follow me. I was like, why does so many people want to follow me all of a sudden? Yeah. I had no idea what was going on until a few friends sent articles over and then I Googled my name and I was like, oh my God, what what just happened? And then um, people started contacting me through Instagram and calling up my cousin's salon at the time. I used to, I used to that was the other thing I did with her. We used to run the salon. And like, hi, can we get an interview with Maria? And I remember asking my cousin, what, what do they want to interview me for? Yeah. What have I done? <laughs> So um, wait, you're telling me there was no PR around this. This just like literally no. naturally just got picked up that yeah. you were the world's first hijab wearing model. No PR, not not from H. Obviously, the H and M ad was in itself PR, but yeah. nothing off of that. Because so people they were, just like grabbed onto it, and that yeah, was it. people were trying to contact H and M to get an understanding from their perspective of why they picked me and stuff, and they were just like, no comment, no comment. They didn't expect. I don't think either for it to have wow. blown up. I had people from Dubai calling saying, Maria, when you're going to launch your hijab with h H&M? I was like, no, I was an advert to recycle your clothes. <laughs> I'm not launching anything. That's um, brilliant. So it was crazy. That, yeah. H&M need to listen to that. That's, that's demand. Yeah. They need to do the supply. <laughs> Literally, it's insane. And yeah. It might not be connected, but then I read in a, a newspaper like a, a year later saying in 2015, sales skyrocketed up to 15% more or whatever. Like, I was like, wow! No, I, don't I, know I think you should own that one. I think, no, I think you should own that one. Oh. Right, I want to. I want to clear something up. Many believe that American Somali Halima is it Aden? Is that the way you say yeah. Aden? <laughs> oh, good. Many believe that she's the world's first hijab-wearing model. She is not. <laughs> you are. <laughs> How do you actually feel about knowing that you were the first, but she keeps taking all the credit? Oh man, you're just putting it. I'm so just throwing it out there because it, it, no, but no, Maria, it bothers me. Yeah, because that's yours, you know. Oh. It's yours. Do you know what? I, I think it's mostly American press that come out with okay. that story. Right. You know, America's in a bit of a bubble, mm-hmm. so understandably, what she did in they didn't in the, do their research. The U- yeah. <laughs> what she did in the US was definitely huge, and, okay. and she's the first American hijab ring model. Okay. But. Again, you know, America, it's like, if it happened in America, it happened in the world. And yeah. it's like, no, the UK did it first. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> um, it's just one of those things. I think I was also bothered by it initially. Mm-hmm. Um, I have met her a few times. She's really cool. But initially it did bother me slightly because um, at the end of the day, if that's your, one of your USPs mm. and then someone hasn't done their research or whatever. But it happens all the time at the same time. That's why you get over it because the music happens all the time. Someone, I created this genre of music and then someone else gets all the credit for it. Yeah. Um, it happens in so many different industries. It's just- So you took it on It's the life. Yeah, and I just had to say, this is nothing personal. It's not done intentionally, I don't know. Not from her, I don't believe. So no. it's just, it was just one of those things. And What was the conversation like between you two? <laughs> We're cool. Do you know, it's always been very brief because it's always at events. We've not met like outside of workspaces. I think a lot of it is um, probably just people misconstruing words. I've obviously, being in the industry, I know what it's like. You say one thing and they say what you've said, but in a completely different way. Right. So, you know. They get away with it on a technicality. Yeah, that's why I was like, I can't believe, you know, whatever's written in, you know, her speech to be 
Bible, <laughs> gospel, you know, <laughs> it's just whatever. So you mentioned that after the campaign came out, you got loads of DMs and loads of requests and people like reaching out to you. Mm-hmm. So what, what I was going to ask you was, were you fearful when you actually started the, the, the process of joining H&M for this campaign in your film? Were you fearful that you were going to get any sort of backlash from your community for being the world's first hijab wearing model? Or were you just super confident that everyone was going to get behind you? I didn't even think that far ahead. I ah. just thought... I'm going to be an extra in the background and get paid a bit of money right. <laughs> to be an H&M ad, which is cool. And, you know, that's it. I thought nothing would come from it for me personally. I didn't, if I did, if I knew I would have been way more prepared. Mm-hmm. I had no strategy, no management, no press, nothing, nothing. Yeah. Just me. Wow. Did you get any negative backlash from anyone? Anyone that didn't appreciate you doing the campaign? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I still, I'm sure till today, you know, still do. And it's funny because the negativity was from both the Muslim and non-Muslim community. Yeah, I was the same say. way there was positive, um, you know, outlooks on it as well. So like, non-Muslims were kind of just ignorant comments like, "Oh, why is H and M supporting ISIS?" and oh, all wow. of that. Yeah, I was like, "What?" <laughs> and then, that really is ignorant. <laughs> yeah, super ignorant. And then you had Muslims who were just like, "Oh, she's a sign of Judgment Day. You can't be a hijab and a model." Really? Yeah. So from both sides, it had it was their own. You know, How did you feel about those negative it. comments from your own community? Um, I mean, I always like to see the deeper message behind what people say, unless it's completely stupid and irrational, mm. then you just ignore it. But um, especially when they use religion as a background to what they're talking about, I do take in what they're saying, even if it comes out horribly. So I did think to myself, actually, am I doing something wrong? Have I just opened up a can of worms? Because right. on social media, there's so much you know, influence from Muslim women in hijab way before I came about. I wasn't the first to to create this whole concept of it. It was it was already there online. Mm. And, um, you know, we already had uh, designers having their hijab uh, designs on runways and stuff. So in 2011, Rabia Z from Dubai, she had her collection in New York Fashion Week. Um, and there was collaborations happening, but nothing where it was about the woman behind the hijab, nothing where it was the representation of the hijab aside from just the clothes yeah so that's so kind why of almost it was like deal. you know clothes on a hanger clothes on a yeah you know it exactly. wasn't so much about, about the, the human being it's been four years since your campaign do you think now women um muslim women and women that wear hijab are mm. more equally represented in the world of fashion or do you think it's still like way off like we're not even not equally, definitely not at Moving all. Moving in the right direction. Yeah, you're lucky to even have one girl still in a campaign. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, again, online digital now, everything is quite digital anyway. So yeah, there is more exposure, but then still when it comes to the really big budget, you know, billboard, real world kind of marketing, it's, it's still not that often. I mean, it's a start though, I guess. Yeah. Everything starts somewhere. So do you think anyone can do for hijab wearing models what the likes of Ashley Graham and Tess Holliday have done for the plus size movement? Because me personally, I feel like that movement has just taken off mm. um, and it's not it's not a you know one-off situation yeah. now like oh Ashley Graham walked the run- runway once it's you know in both commercial and and runway as well mm. it's become a thing there's plus yeah. side models you know look what Rihanna's done for Fenty you know yeah. you know all different shapes and sizes all different races do you think that that's going to happen within the kind of modest movement and within the hijab wearing model movement as well yeah I think it's already happening it's already kind of there where um 
people are a lot more aware that they have to consider uh, women that are Muslim as well mm. into the way that they market. But I mean, the necessity of having a hijab wearing model on a runway might be controversial, but I just feel like, you know, if you're a model, you're a model, you can just stick a hijab on. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. It's, it's more for me initially, it wasn't so much about me being the model and me, me, me. I need to, you mm. know, it was more about the representation of the hijab mm. and, and also for designers to have uh, more opportunities to be able to, to, to fulfill the demand that we have for mainstream uh, stores. Like when I go shopping, if I couldn't find anything modest, like I've got to go online. But if I need it today, then what? So that was my real issue with actually the practicality of needing more modest wear. Uh, the reason it was a big deal, like I said, was because there was a, now a personality behind the hijab. It wasn't mm. just the designs. And that also is as important to a certain degree because with what I do, it's more than just modeling. You know, right. I do, I, there's other things attached to it. You're like, a brand, you're a personality, you're also yeah. a representative. I mean, I just went to London know. Fashion Week and I, I did not see a single... Did you not see any? Not oh. a single model wearing a hijab. In London, and I thought yeah. of you, and I did think, well, that's that's sad. Yeah, because it's not an equal representation of even just even the people yeah. that were at London Fashion Week. Yeah, watching the shows or you know being involved in creating content or influencers that I see yeah. milling around taking street style. Like it just wasn't a fair representation. Which yeah, is no, it's still definitely not there. A lot of events and stuff I go to, I'm still the only one in a hijab in the room, and insane. Yeah, so. On the runway, I just I have mixed feelings about it just because of my own personal preference. So right. This is just this is not like <laughs> universal you know, guide. Yeah, it's yeah. just this is what I I just felt uncomfortable because, like I said, when I do things off the runway, there's always more to it than just mm. me being a model and you know the way I look. Whereas on runway, I just felt like my sole purpose is just to be looked at, and that's where I did understand where some of the the haters were talking about how can you be Muslim and model because the whole point of the hijab is to um, not draw unnecessary attention to yourself. Right. So then if I'm on a runway, that is literally what you're there for, to be looked at. Okay, so I wasn't going to touch on this till a little bit further down the line, but because you brought it up, I want to dig into this right now because I personally would like some clarity mm-hmm. um, as a maybe slightly ignorant Western woman who doesn't have the knowledge. Um, the word hijab... When I did some research online, it came up that it's more of a barrier, a partition, mm-hmm. a protection. Um, and although it is, you know, wearing hijab, it's also carrying yourself and conducting yourself in, in a modest way, mm-hmm. um, having respect for yourself, behaviour, your lifestyle choice. Yeah. A hijab is a practical thing that you put on your head, but then hijab overall is is spiritual it's not just um a piece of material because there's also a hijab for men which is their dress so they have to cover from their belly button down to their thighs that area should be covered as well okay um and then for women we have our conditions as well that including myself we don't always fulfill properly day to day but we understand it is it is there so then the spiritual kind of meets that physical where it's like okay if you're going to cover up and like go to a bar and twerk on the table it might not look right <laughs> not not quite ideal that that combination that, yeah even so i know that's not right. gonna work yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it is, it is the the whole package essentially where you just carry yourself yeah more modestly live a modest lifestyle as well and that can come into how you spend your money what you eat um 
just how you conduct yourself with with people, how you speak, everything. Just the word modesty is... is, is... So dig into a few of those for me. Mm -hmm. How would you spend your money modestly? So if you need to get a car... You can get one car rather than like four. If you, I know if you can afford it, obviously there's always the, the thing temptation. is it's all subjective. It's all subjective because I could say this now and then boom, you're you a millionaire. <laughs> she's got the Range are. Rover. She's got the Porsche. Yeah, so <laughs> she's got the Mercedes yeah. McLaren. So this is just me speaking like you know theoretically, yeah. essentially. Like you just you you ideally as Muslims we should live a more simple life. That's okay, food. What it is food. So actually, I came across um, a hadith which is the teaching. Uh, of the Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, and his one of his companions said that I forbid any of you who believe to eat meat more than two days in a row. And we all clearly ignore that because... Except me, because I'm a vegetarian. Oh, you're so vegetarian? I've got oh, that one covered, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for a lot of Muslims, we definitely overlook that. We're such carnivores, so... Um, that's something interesting because that would be a more modest way to eat. You know, mm. nothing in excess. Mm. You know, uh, Prophet Dawood, he would have one third of his body for food, one third for water and one third for air. So not, you know, okay. no gluttony. It goes back to the, you know, the 10 deadly sins. So okay. avoiding that altogether. A lot of our teachings are literally the same as any other Abrahamic religion. Okay. You know, it's nothing too different in terms of our lifestyle and do's and don'ts. <laughs> In terms of modesty with people? People, the way you speak, so, you know, don't talk excessively, listen more, um, don't use foul language, <laughs> which, you know, a lot of us are victim to. <laughs> 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 just, yeah, uh, the way, don't backbite. So, again, it goes back to just general teachings just of being just a being kind, moral. Yeah. genuinely nice person by the yeah, sounds of things. Yeah, being humble, you know. Another one some of us struggle with. <laughs> My inner Kanye sometimes creeps out. You know? I know you've got an inner Kanye. I've seen it. I've okay. seen it. <laughs> so you're a modest wear poster girl, I would say. That's what I would say. The poster oh. girl from modest wear. Um, what do most of your followers come to you um, and ask when they're kind of trying to discover their style while mm. still respecting their religion? There's so much inspiration online now. So I, if, I mean... People normally will compliment my style and then your ask style how is. I did can this, we just sorry? Can we just take a pause? Uh, your style is something else. Really? Uh, something, you want a red carpet? <laughs> no, you want a red carpet? Everyone, uh, go and check out her Instagram page. On a red carpet, I'm like, girl, uh, you did that. Lion no. King premiere, tick. No, <laughs> you look beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I mean, even that, I try to. Well, it's not even I try to. I think because. I'm running around so much, I want to be really comfortable. Mm. And that also conflicts with trying to be on point all the time. So I feel pretty basic most of the time. <laughs> but anyway. You don't look it. Trust oh. me, girl. You do not look it. So your followers, they come to you and they're like... They'll normally... Yeah, how I did... So like, how did I wrap my like my turban scarf? How did I... Yeah, that's um, amazing. Yeah, wear this dress and what did I match it with or whatever. You know, little things just... Just general, general. I think I remember costume. asking you that once. You had this cool like knot at the front. Yeah. And I was like, you so have to teach me how yeah, to do that. Yeah. And at the time I said it just because it looked so cool. And then yeah. afterwards I was like, oh, was that a bit was that a bit rude? Because obviously no, you're wearing no, of course it. Not. And there's me like, girl, I need that fashion statement on no, my head. Not at all. <laughs> I, I had to, I had to I give thinking. a tutorial in in um where was it? It was like in the 
Eurostar once waiting for the train and this uh, French French Moroccan lady she asked me how did you do it and I said I told her she goes can you show me can you show me now and I was like okay oh <laughs> so I literally rewrapped my scarf to, to, to show her how Eurostar. to do it yeah you're a really confident self-assured woman who I feel like could handle anyone in any <laughs> situation I saw a lot that women are wearing the hijab to protect themselves from unnecessary attention, unwanted attention, mm -hmm. um, you know, particularly from men. Mm. Does that still come into play for you? Do you still feel like you're warding off that mm. unwanted attention or do you feel like with or without the hijab, you've still got your own back? I think with or without, I do have my own back, but then it's about needing to put myself in a situation where I have to have my own back. I, I started wearing hijab a little later than a lot of girls. So I was like 17, 18. Oh, really? So it's not is, just something you've always done? No, no. I start, Yeah, when I was, I was wearing it on and off um, because I went to an Islamic school. So I'd wear it on Sundays to go to the school. It's like part of my uniform. Mm -hmm. um, and then during, you know, normal mainstream school, I wouldn't. And your parents outside. were fine with that? Yeah, because my mum never wore hijab either. No one in my family does. It's just me and my mum who have started. Okay, so no talk to me about that. Let's, I want to know what... The hijab story. Yeah, what's the yeah. turning point? What happened? Uh, That's so, really interesting. So I think the school had a big influence on me because of the people I was around. Mm -hmm. So when other girls would would wear it, you know, day to day, I was aware of that. I was like, oh, maybe that's something I should do too. Yeah. And then I used to do spoken words. So I was mainly doing spoken word for like Islamic events where the audience is 99.9% .9 Muslim. So I then started to feel a bit like a hypocrite because they all think I wear a hijab because they only know me from that. But then outside of this, I don't wear a hijab. And I was always a bit conscious, oh my God, imagine if someone sees me on the street or whatever. Ah, okay. <laughs> and this is because of this is before social You're living media. living a little so double you, life out yeah, there, Maria. Get, <laughs> I'm like 15, 14 though, so it wasn't a big deal. This is just on and off. So I was, I was thinking about it and I'd wear it sometimes during Ramadan and then on Eid, take it off. Kind of went back and forth with it. And then um, when I was 17 and when I was in college, that's when after Ramadan, I said, actually, I'm going to keep it on. And it's just stayed on because I was praying five times a day as well. So it's just practical. Right. You have to put a scarf on to pray. Okay. I'm carrying the scarf around and I'm like, why don't I just wear it? Well, I constantly take it off for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can just wear it. And that's also back to the first thing you mentioned um, where I can tell the difference in attention. So men are going to look regardless. You can, yeah. it doesn't matter what you wear. If they, in your they see a pretty face, whatever. Yeah. yeah they're going to they're gonna look. But definitely how men would approach me was was different without a hijab because there was more of an entitlement where you could think oi, oi, across the road or ah. you know what i mean things like that whereas now it's more of just a look a long follow and it's like, <laughs> but there's no oi oi anymore there's no oi oi yes and i that's my personal experience that's really yeah. interesting yeah it's, it's different and even even with people that i know it's like they're a bit conscious oh I'll shake a hand normally without hijab it's just like grab me and cuddle me well, there right. are still some of my old school friends who there's no chill but you know yeah <laughs> they know you from back in the they day there's, like, no, there's no there's no retraining that like, <laughs> yeah there's no retraining but yeah you're, you're just so free with it and um I, I remember when I spoke to you on the phone we were chatting the other day and I was saying to you about Maria I'm doing your interview kind of prep and I'm like shocked at how much I'm seeing the Aww. word oppression. And I was like, literally, it keeps coming up again and again. Women in hijab are often accused of suffering at the hands of oppression. It come up a shocking amount of times. Yeah. It's very I, stereotypical, but it is. what's your take on that? I think everyone loves a headliner, so I feel like a lot of the time it is yeah. just to clickbait. grab... Yeah, clickbait just to grab attention. I'm hoping people are smart enough to know that 
you are far on. from oppressed, my yeah, friend. Yeah, literally. <laughs> like it's, it feels so ridiculous to have to almost like justify that we're not. But I do understand, and I'm not ignorant to the fact there are women who are forced to wear hijab from a young age or because of the country they're in, they have to, they have no choice. And then on the other end as well, like in France, there's an oppression against the hijab. So you yeah, I read that. To wear a burkini on the, on the beach. Um, How do you feel you about that? I thought fa- that was crazy that they... That they had- yeah, I think it's crazy because it's from a country that's an hour away from us on, on a flight. So, you know, that's, for me, shocking. But we don't, we don't title that on the headlines as oppression. It's mm. just... That's like forcing people to step away from there. Yeah, but... And even so if, if you go to France, you... I do wear a scarf. You can wear a scarf in France. But you but just can't cover your face, right? Can't cover my... Well, I don't want to anybody. Like, I yeah. can't cover my face. And um, I couldn't wear a burkini on the beach. And even if you work in... I think this is still what it is. If you work in any public sector jobs, a teacher, um, a judge, a lawyer, whatever, you can't cover your head. So that there is oppression. So that, that is, for me, is the biggest thing. Again, I don't know. I should have done a bit more research. No, I, I, I saw the that. same thing. Yeah. I saw the same thing. It's like, I couldn't that aspire still... to be a, a teacher. That's insane. Yeah. Like, I, like there are so many insane. job roles that you can't do just to cover, like, like this, just covering your head. And that there leads me on to how do you feel about how Muslim women are portrayed in the media? That's where it annoys me because um, clearly women are fighting to cover their heads. So that's a contradiction to us being oppressed to wear it, mm. you know. If that was the case, we'd all be in support of what... Yeah, you'd all be like, oh, great, when are they bring yeah. that law over here? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's like so, so that's why I'm just, yeah, confused. How do you think your religion shaped your career? It, oh, definitely. I mean... I'm a, the first hijab wearing model because of my religion. I didn't wear hijab for, for fun or for fashion. How funny is that, that at 17, you didn't even do it? Um, yeah. And then it became, like, the the thing that the thing launched now, your career. I can't career. take it off even at once. No, you, <laughs> now you have no days. choice. I'm sorry. You are stuck. <laughs> I can't go back. Yeah. It's, it's been... It's a huge part of my of my um, my career. And also just my day-to-day, my my branding, everything revolves around my faith and my beliefs so mm. even if you don't believe in god i hope for everyone on this earth that that's the most important thing that's what you know curates everything around it because that's the only thing that is not something tangible that comes and goes you know everything mm. else money can come and go you know friends family relationships whatever it is but your what you believe in will always stay with you mm. and that should be the one thing that we revolve our lives around and make sure everything is in accordance with that. Mm. So I feel so blessed and, and happy that somehow I fell into a career where uh, my faith is because of why I'm here. Yeah. You know? If I wasn't a Muslim, I wouldn't. I'd probably be doing this. Yeah. Would you, you'd be doing film probably, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, and do you know what? And even then, I still make film and, and other things that I create around what I believe in. So even if it's not necessarily religion, just my so, history, yeah. you know, culture, just things... Things that are important to me. Still like the centre of your universe. Yeah, exactly. So you were invited to a TED talk, right? Yeah. Changing the face of fashion? Yeah. (laughs) So I think, again, a lot of the work I do outside of fashion complements it in a way because it just, it shows people that have this, this idea that models are just dumb and they're just there to be looked at and nothing more. So Mm. things are definitely changing around that as well. Forget being Muslim, just in general, Mm. models now have got so much more to them. So they always did, but, you know, now it's actually being... A lot more spokespeople, isn't there, coming out of the fashion industry and inspirational figures and... Exactly. They're doing their own brands, uh, you know, so humanitarian work. Um, A lot of them are activists as well. Mm. So I think what I bring is, is 
probably more outside of fashion, um, but through that as my platform. Mm. So I want to talk more about sustainability and, mm. and... Talk to me about that, girl. Yeah, I mean, I'm still learning, there's still so much, but just the amount of pollution that we get from fashion waste. Mm. And I think, um, as, as again, as Muslims, we have a really big responsibility because it goes back to living a modest lifestyle and taking care of the planet. We're, we're like authentically green people. This is <laughs> so, where I'm going to challenge you about the meat thing, though. Oh, yeah, go on. Because the agricultural industry... Yes. That's the, the biggest, biggest yeah, problem. Definitely. That's one of the that's reasons why... That's why they're cutting down the Amazon jungle. That's why they're... Yeah. That's why we have global warming issues yeah. because of the meat industry. So, yeah. and that's why also they challenge say overpopulation. You, my but I'm like, <laughs> it's not so much overpopulation. The, the Earth will, Mother Nature will take care of the ratio yeah. between humans and Earth space. Yeah, but it's because we're such big consumers. Consumers. That's, that's the problem. Why it's not so much the people are overpopulating. It's the fact that we're using so much land for things outside of people yeah. animals for animals <laughs> it is basically yeah. down to the cows and the methane yeah. um yeah because it's not only the land for them to live on they we need land to feed them as to well to feed them as well so essentially it's like two earths and apparently <laughs> one beef burger takes 500 gallons of water yeah something insane it's yeah, ridiculous. Because of the lifespan of them consuming water and what they need yeah it's insane so when you go veggie things. maria do you know, trying, I think when I live alone, because my mum cooks. she got that good home. food. Yeah. she got that good food. When I, when I move out, that's when I'm like, oh, and it's cheaper as well to live yeah. there, you know. Well, to be fair, it's not anymore, you know, avocados oh, yeah. are really expensive. <laughs> oh, no, that's, let me not talk about Brexit. Let's not even get into Brexit. No, I, yeah, I don't know. Enough. Was it scary doing the TED Talk? Because that wasn't that long after you kind of launched that onto was, the scene, No, was that was it? literally like... Um, two months later three months later right and yeah it was scary was it like a kevin hart pineapples moment i wasn't ready yeah yeah yeah. no i I wasn't because i was one of i was the last person to be brought on for that because they they had been planning it for ages and then when the h&m thing came out and they saw the press it was it was tedx team in america so Mm -hmm. the new york team came to the uk okay so they were like oh my god we want to get you on board while we're coming to Mm. london um can you prepare a talk in like a week and i was like okay (laughs) say yes say yes to everything yeah Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsors. I wanted to tell you about my favorite new app. It's called Kindred. In a nutshell, Kindred allows you to share the things that you love whilst also donating to the charity of your choice. Yes, it's literally as simple as that. You post your favorite new coat, trainers, lipstick, or any other product that you choose from the Kindred app. Then you make a genuine recommendation to your followers and a percentage of every sale goes to your favorite charity. And if that wasn't good enough, a percentage of the sale also goes directly to you too. But if you're feeling super flush, you can always choose to give all of your commission away. You can download the app at www.kindred.co. That's www.kindred.co. Kindred, share what you love. I'm going to go back a bit to fashion. Mm-hmm. What did you think about when Nike brought out their hijab? Did you feel like that was like awesome step in the right direction? Mm. Or you're a bit like, oh, is this, they're just using this for a bit of press and marketing. Mm. Like, how do you feel about it when brands kind of release something and then they make it really public and do a whole campaign yeah. around it? And it's like, is it? do you feel like it's kind of culture vulture a little bit? Um, only because they, so my friend in Dubai, Manal, she was like, I think the key model, I'd say, for the, for the Nike launch. 
so and she's a Muslim runner oh, okay. so which is cool so I like they did keep it you know organic where they worked with Muslim women and you know had them that are actually athletes yeah it's exactly. a Nike pro sports hijab yes, isn't it exactly yeah. so it wasn't just a model that wears a hijab or whatever it was someone that's actually at the same way they would work with you know in the mainstream as well with other athletes so I, I did like the way that they launched it um I have got a design for uh I feel like an improved do you now hijab. yeah that would be more complimentary are you into working so, out yeah i do go to the gym people are gonna laugh if they're watching this that know me <laughs> why <laughs> are they gonna go no you don't you go like no, once a month no i go to gym but like i go i might as well go once a month because i spend like 20 minutes each session <laughs> it's like quick and yeah in and out in and out just i think because i've i've not got you know serious body goals in terms of, oh, I need to achieve this or that. It's just- Right, let's dig you know into I mean? that real quick, cool. because is that because your body is always covered? Is that uh, because you don't have to get into bikini? Because no. me, when it comes to, I know I'm going on a beach in three months and I've got to be in that teeny weeny bikini. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the gym like four or five times a week, like yeah, eating yeah. healthy, working out really hard, because I know I'm going to be in that tiny bikini. Yeah. You don't have that problem. Is that why no. you're not so worried about? No, because I still feel like I need to look nice naked, even if no one's appreciating it. Okay. Because just for myself. So, so it's more, uh, I think because from a young age, my mum's always put me in sports and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important as well for parents to do, to put their kids in different types of activities, activities from sure. a young age, because as you're growing, your body naturally, you know, adapts. Um, I'm still pretty flexible from gymnastics when I was like a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I can't run as fast anymore, but that's just- I couldn't run in the first place, yeah. babe, so you're doing better than me. Yeah, so it's, just, <laughs> it's more just, I don't feel like when I look in the mirror, um, obviously there's things definitely mm. that can be improved. There's always room for improvement, mm. but I've always kind of maintained the same weight throughout my life. Um, Do you reckon if we did a survey of Muslim women and non-Muslim women, mm. the non-Muslim women would have the most body confidence issues and the most hang-ups in their body because of the reason that I just said? Publicly naked I think, and I think not even, publicly naked. I think even Muslim women, because if you're married, you know, you, you've still got someone that, aside from yourself, that you would want to look ideally good for mm. and feel good for so I think I think both ways there's always going to be those issues mm. within us of course I go through phases you know where sometimes I look at myself I'm like oh what the hell mm. <laughs> you know, like my stomach there's no definition or this <laughs> you know I'm looking at my arms I'm like what is going on so definitely there are, are days but generally speaking I think that's probably why I don't have like a strict gym routine and maybe because I'm single. I'm saying all this and yeah. I look at my body completely different. The Listen, minute <laughs> let's revisit, let's revisit this conversation when there is a man in Mr. Drizzy's yeah, yeah. life. Yeah. Let's talk about dating. Let's talk about love life. You're okay. single at the moment. Yeah. Um, obviously we won't catch you on Tinder anytime soon. Nah. Is there, is there, there is a Muslim, well, I was going to say, is there a Muslim is dating app? Minda, I don't know. <laughs> Is there a Muslim dating app? There is, there is like Muzmatch and things like that. Muzmatch? Yeah. That's which a is, good name. Yeah, so that's basically a dating site. You haven't yeah. tried that one yet? Nah. It's not for you? No. I don't know. I've never... No? I've never like looked specifically. Okay. I just let it come. Because I think I control everything else in my life. So I can, like my career, this, I'm, I'm, I give so much attention to things and I'm, I'm, I'm a planner as well. So that's one area that I just like to just leave and say yeah. whatever. And, and my social life in general, I like to just be spontaneous with and not, you know, make it feel like work or I've got to put this in a diary and I have to stick to this and I have to do this and I have to find that. It's just, 
let it happen. So there is a slim to none chance of an arranged marriage in your life? Yeah, unless I get to that point where I know my eggs are depleting and I want to have a kid. <laughs> That's when I'll be Then you'll be like, Mum, Dad, Mom, yeah. hook me up because we need to do something about this situation. Someone from back home, whatever, like in exchange for their passport, I'll, I'll have a kid. <laughs> so that's when I think it might, you know, never say never. <laughs> <laughs> You're brilliant. <laughs> Speaking of stereotypes, because obviously we just joked about one a little bit, but yeah. um, <laughs> and it's good because I feel like I could do that with you. Yeah. But um, would you, would there be any pressure from mom and dad anytime soon? Because I feel like mm. you know you're you're twenty seven. Twenty seven, which for me is so young. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't settle down yet. Yeah. But you know, within your community, women do tend to settle down, mm. get married, have children younger. Oh, yeah. Is your mum reminding you about your account daily yet? No. She's not only when she's around her, like, great-grandnieces and nephews and stuff. Oh, yeah. Then she's like, oh, you know, can't wait till I'm a grandma. Hint, hint. Hint, hint, yeah. <laughs> or when her mum, so my grandma, asks her and pesters her, like, right, right when's Maria going to get married now? That's when I think she comes to me and just mentions it. But she never says it in a way. She's always like, oh, what do you think about me? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's no pressure. My dad, I think he'd keep me home forever. Really? His little princess. I've only got brothers, so... It's... Oh, he doesn't want you going yeah. anywhere. Would you ever date outside your religion? No. Why? Well, number one, we can't. <laughs> that, that's a rule. Yeah, that's a rule. What if you just fell in love with someone? I'll what if you... them. I'll be like, come on, man. I was, I was going to say... Is... Like, you never go to church anyway. <laughs> Convert? Yeah. Would you really? Yeah, either I'll, I'll convert someone or um, yeah, I just won't. That's it. Really? So it's just yeah. like no chance, like zero out of a hundred chance. Of zero that, out of a hundred, yeah. But it doesn't mean you can't fall in love. The thing is, I, I don't fall in love like that. What? Um, I'm quite, yeah, I feel like I'm quite robotic. I just, I, I have an idea of what I want. And then I know people say, oh, but you never know. You can just meet someone. Mm. But if someone is not a Muslim and there's no interest... And they don't live an Islamic life. I'm like, already we're not going to be compatible. So whatever I'm feeling right now is just lust. It's just, God, I yeah. find you att- attractive. Yeah. And it can't get deeper than that. So I won't, my body will just naturally not allow it to. Yeah, you wouldn't you even know. go there in the first yeah, place. Yeah, it's like when you have something, a belief in you that is a part of your life and you want to carry on to your children and grandchildren in the future and then that person doesn't meet that, it's really difficult because you just know, well... We're, we're two completely different people. So right now, it's yeah. just, I'm just attracted to you. That's you, though. For anyone listening, because I do believe there will be at least one person listening yeah, I'm sure there is. who has caught feelings for someone without their, outside of their religion, yeah. who's like, oh my God, like I just cannot get this guy out of my that head. That probably happen. Like, what, I think maybe what that's advice more would natural. That? that would probably be a more natural. So if you're like working with someone yeah. and you don't, in the beginning, you don't, because they're yeah. not Muslim, you don't even look at them as an option and then you start to, to develop feelings and like, oh yeah. my God, I love this guy. But then, because that's again, you've already developed so much of a relationship with that person that you can have that conversation and about say, about conversion. Yeah, or about you just, you know, let them know how you feel and stuff. It's more easier. Whereas when you've just met someone, you wouldn't go into the development stage without, you know, having an intention to be with them mm. or whatever, because you just feel like, well, what's the point? Because I've always wondered that, and I, uh, again, just thinking about maybe a listener that yeah, feel that's so- going through that. Like, what I advice think- would you give? outside of like maybe they don't have your powers of persuasion maybe they can't just get someone (laughs) to convert I can't can't go around convert there's plenty of people there maybe maybe (laughs) they don't have that power of persuasion in their locker what would you say to them what advice would you give because I feel like that's such a I know it's so sad because you know love will always win and all that stuff yeah it didn't for Romeo and Juliet did it no not exactly there we are didn't work out 
So I know people <laughs> I know people do feel like that and in some cases it can it can work, you mm. know. But I just think you really have to question yourself, do I genuinely love this person mm. to compromise maybe what I believe in, which should be the like the most important thing to you, or um should just call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> How does that apply to friendships? Because obviously you and I are mates and yeah. My friends you can be friends with forever, yeah. Do you ever find, though, that you butt up against people and different things? Like, I know whenever mm. we have conversations about stuff, no matter how controversial it is, yeah. like, we, we just have this ability to... Yeah, come to Because we had a conversation recently, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about a controversial oh subject. But, but I was on one side, you was on the other yeah. side. Then I took your opinion on board and was like, oh, I get it. And yeah, yeah. We, were, we were able to kind of like, it wasn't a, it wasn't deep or serious, but we yeah. were able to kind of find that thing where we both really respected each other's. I think that's our personality. Have you done a personality test? No. Oh, you should do one, the Maya Briggs one. Is it good? Yeah, 16 personalities. So you, um, yeah, you just find out more about yourself. And it also helps the, your relationships with other people because you can understand other people better too. Okay. So good. Have you done the five love languages? I have. What what one are you? What's your love language? Just for all those um, lovely Muslim men listening right now, <laughs> let's find out what, what Maria's love language you know what is. I did it ages ago, is it? Like the, the, I mean... Yeah, you've got um, physical touch, acts of service, you've got words of affirmation. I think that my first one was words of affirmation. I, I can't remember. remember what the last one was. Mine is acts of service. Oh, really? <laughs> I like people to do stuff no for way. me. <laughs> Sally, <laughs> exactly. I am definitely oh, no. acts of service. I like people to do stuff for me. Oh my god! And yeah, the man's just like, just talk to me, okay? Just tell me <laughs> tell I'm me fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear, That's hilarious. Funny. Right, I want to talk about your hum- humanitarian work because I know that working with charities and stuff is a huge part of your of your personality and about you know your modest way of living. So. I know you've been to West Africa to work with Islamic Relief. You've got Comic Relief coming up, and you've also worked with Human Care Syria. Yeah. What What draws you to work with these charities, and 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 what's the most important thing to you when it comes to your charitable work? Well, my mum, I think, is my biggest inspiration in that area because she's always had this thing about giving back. You know, mm. it's, it's and it's been embedded into us as well. You, give to receive it just it's the way of life and as being a muslim as well like it's it's actually compulsory for us mm. to give 2.5 uh, percent of our like annual savings to charity every every once a year before like ramadan or, or before okay. eid um so it is a part of our faith to be charitable but also just yeah like i said my mum just her personality is so i'm gonna save the world and <laughs> you know the community mum. so if anyone anyone's down anyone's hungry anyone's there she's always there to like take care of everyone that's nice so just growing up seeing her still work and look after us and do all the normal mum wife duties and also always make time to to give back and help other people even if it's just down to advice like yeah. whatever it is that's just always been embedded in us as well to to just help people it's all the cycle of life yeah exactly like give to receive is that in the sense of you feel like you know what you put out there you get back yeah exactly so that's been something I've grown up with so now I've got a platform it's great because I can just do it on a larger scale Mm. I still like to maintain close relations with charities that are either run by my family or friends but also on a on a larger scale as well just to raise awareness we had a chat not so long ago and we were talking about um, Muslims. You said that they are often segregated, but often mm-hmm. as a community you can segregate yourself. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? 
So it was, well, my mum grew up in the UK. She came when she was like a baby. She's, right. she's the youngest in her family. But um, growing up in Birmingham in the 60s and 70s, it was super racist. So it wasn't her choice to segregate. Mm. She was pushed out. So growing up, you know, with, your, with knowing these stories from your family firsthand, and now it's, it's changed, obviously, it's kind of like, oh, we need to get out of this, you know, we're segregated mentality and start integrating more as well. Mm. And, um, and both ways, it works both ways at the same time, the same way the rest of the world should feel like, oh, we need to stop pushing them out and you know, yeah. be more inviting. So it just, it works on both sides. I think because I grew up in London, I have mm. a London mentality rather than just a, a UK mentality to, to all of it. Because mm. I've not actually ever experienced any racism or Islamophobia before. Yeah. You know, I've seen it, but not personally. Uh, and I know it obviously exists for sure. Yeah. But I've just been one of the lucky ones who's escaped it so far. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. ever feel like, um, a bit of a controversial question, but whenever there's like terrorist attacks in London, mm. do you feel a heightened sense of vulnerability mm. um, because of the way that the media portrays those sort of situations? And I feel like the media very much creates yeah. a, a fear mm. um, that's not real. And no. that's not warranted or fair, but I feel like they create it. Do you ever feel, because I remember being on the tube once um, after the 7-7 bombings, mm -hmm. and I remember seeing a man and a woman, like literally all eyes in the carriage were on them in a really yeah. like awful way to the point where mm. they literally got up and really? left. And that's always stayed with me because oh. the joke was I had just survived the 7-7 bombings and I was probably the only person on the carriage that should have had any fear of anything mm. and anyone anyway in the first yeah. place. And I was the only person there that was not feeling that yeah, way. Yeah, not feeling But that. watching everyone else be that way. That's it just, so crazy. I wondered if you'd ever had experiences like yeah. that where you feel like because of what's going on in the country you do or in the world that you're, you feel like you're being... Yeah, I do when something like that happens and straight after going out and using the tube or whatever, I would feel like I'm being looked at, definitely. Mm. But again, it wasn't like overt it's not, it's, Yeah, no. It was just, I can just sense... And you kind of feel this responsibility to be extra nice and to smile. And Do you? Why? Yeah, Talk to me about that. That's I don't really know anymore. Now I don't give a shit. Yeah. Sorry. That's <laughs> but all like, right. Before, I would feel this, oh, I should make a bit more of an effort because of... You want to be a positive representation yeah, of your... Yeah, but then I'm like, actually, but those people don't represent us. They're not a part of our community, actually. Yeah. The same way, you know, the KKK aren't every white American. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, I, don't, I don't feel fear, fear anything when I, when I see, when I go to America. So it's... It's just, um, it's just straight after you have got this consciousness. Mm. Obviously, nothing's happened, thank God, in a, in a while now. Thank God. Yeah, but w when it did initially, yeah, I would definitely feel looked at. Such a deep conversation to get into. Yeah. <laughs> Such oh, a deep conversation. Okay. Um, what's next in your career, Missy? So, I am, yeah, getting back into film. Hey, what's, what are you doing? Is this uh, with Comet Relief? Yeah, well, that's one of the things I'm doing. So, a lot of the work I do in fashion isn't just modeling, it's it's like content creating, um, mm. creative consultancy. So I've worked with brands, aside from just being the face of something, like just behind the scenes as well, coming mm. up with concepts and ideas, uh, consulting them. So I want to move that into film now. Amazing. And uh, produce documentaries. We were talking about this, films. weren't we? Documentaries, yeah, yeah. Exactly, so this is like the next layer. Mm. And I am, I'm working on a feature film now, and I'm working on a documentary as well. Awesome. So, but it's still in 
they take so long. TV is the slowest industry, I think, in the UK. <laughs> it really it's is, so honestly. Slow. Honestly. Oh, and that's, that's the thing as well. Painful. You know, every, everyone is like, we need more diversity on screen. It's like, I heard this four years ago and I'm still not seeing anyone on screen. Now I feel it's a bit more active because I'm putting myself out there. It's like, I don't know what more, you, you know. Yeah, if you're coming to, up with your do, own concepts. Then. Exactly. It's like, I'm literally putting everything on the table for you just you know, take it. Just commission it, please. Yeah. Thanks, green light. <laughs> yeah, just give me the money. Give me <laughs> the money. Um, so, 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 yeah, that's, that's mainly what I'm, I'm focusing on at the moment. So comic relief is something I'm doing as well, where, where one of the creativists, which is creative activists. Amazing. Uh, so we're going to um, be able to create our own, like, little mini doc only a couple of minutes, however long we really want it to be. They gave us a lot of freedom mm. uh, to, to talk about or to showcase one of their projects. What would you say you've, has been your biggest lesson in, in this career journey that you've been on so far? Oh, there's been so many, so many lessons. I feel like every single day there's a new thing I, I learn and I'm like, that's why I haven't made a million pound yet. <laughs> it's like God wants to teach me this lesson and this and this and this. It's a nice way of looking at it. It yeah. keeps, you, keeps you going. Keeps you and, growing and as a person. Yeah. It was, you know, Jaja Souls? No. Rapper, he's doing like a lot for the community that. now. Oh. I'm going to look into that. Yeah, Jaja Souls. So um, he's like one of my big bros. And he told me, oh, you need to stop chasing and start building. <laughs> and he just ah. said it casually. And it stuck with me. I'm like, stop chasing and start building, especially in this industry yeah. where we are constantly feeling like we need to, you know, be ahead of this campaign that's about to come out. We need to know what's happening on social media before it does and yeah. keep updated and, you know, constantly like running like little rats in a wheel. And I was like, actually, I don't need to keep up with what's going on around me. I just need to do what's what's in me. Just whatever it is that I, I'm supposed to do, what's, what my purpose is, you know, just live it, begin to live yeah. it rather than trying to fit into whatever agenda the world has. It's all, and it's constantly changing. If you keep chasing things around you, you're never going to fulfill what you're supposed to fulfill because so true. It, everything you don't you shouldn't change as much as the way the world changes in terms of you know your goals and things you want to do because you'll get nothing done that way that's so true i mean that's why you're on this podcast influence me because Aww. i really was just chasing the next thing and then you find yourself scrolling social media and thinking I was talking to that brand a year ago. Exactly. Why didn't I get invited to that event or to yep. become a part of that campaign? And you're always like looking back, mm. like, what could I have done more? What could I do differently? And, and then before it's you know it, you're just really frustrated exactly. and really feeling like you're missing out on so much stuff. Whereas yeah, if you're out there so going, this is my idea. I'm creating my own content, my mm. own platform to talk about what I want to talk about with the people I want to talk about those things with, mm. then, you know, no one can no one can tell me I'm too slow to my own party. Exactly. You're never... When you it's can't your be late to your own party. Exactly. I like well, that. I yeah. actually am sometimes. <laughs> Genuinely, I was an hour late for my 30th birthday. Oh, no. But... Oh, not too in bad. In theory. Yeah, ethnic time and that's all right. That's not too bad. In theory, you can't be late to your own party. Yeah, so. exactly. And that's, and that's probably been one of the biggest things because that keeps me just a bit more calm that controls the anxiety because that's, mm. that's what anxiety is literally just the fear of missing out constantly feeling thinking about the future and, mm. and not being fast enough or keeping up with it all um, and so that really does help me control does it does praying help you in the same way that maybe meditating does for a spiritual person yeah. in the sense of keeping you present and you know in, yeah. in the moment definitely Pray, prayer is it's like the way Muslims pray is a form of meditation even our positions we go into a lot of yogis yeah. have said oh have you seen muslims pray that's yes. they're all yoga positions they are i'm so, a yogi so oh, you're a yoga. oh great yeah. yeah exactly so so we do um have that sense and even 
the Prophet peace upon him when he was knighted with prophethood, he was found meditating by Angel Gabriel. That's what he was doing um, before, obviously, Islam was revealed. So it's it's definitely a part of our faith. Um, we have something called dhikr. Dhikr is like just it's like a little. How do I explain dhikr? Like remembrance of God. Okay. So just having this consciousness where you remember God, and you can have these little sayings, almost like rosemary beads. Yeah. So you have a tasbih, so you can use or just use your fingers to just um, say God's name or. Yeah, it keeps you calm and it, it just reminds you of, of the bigger purpose aside from outside of this world, just like the ultimate goal, which is to just be good people and go to heaven. Because <laughs> Muslims, if we don't have this, everyone goes to heaven. Nah, you, you, you can get your ass burnt. <laughs> you got to be good. You've got, you got to actively <laughs> yeah, be a good person. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be actively good. What is your like <laughs> ultimate goal? Like what, what, what are you really wanting to achieve? Like if you can look back at the end of your life and be like, I did that. What's the big goal for you? Um, I mean, okay, there's the the cliche thing of, you know, I just want to be able to help people help themselves become the best version of myself and help people become their best version. So ultimately, in a, in a nutshell, that's kind of what it is. But the, the route I want to take to do that is to just create my own industry. In oh, yeah, that like, word. It's deep. Create my own industry. Yeah, I, I That is thought, so much bigger than anything I've ever heard anyone else describe there. Yeah, I, and that's the thing. It's just happening. I thought every time, that's why I learn something new like every day. I feel one minute, I'm the first hijab wearing model. I'm going to change the narrative around the hijab. It's already happening. I'm like, cool. Uh, I want more, you know, modest wear. That all comes, you know, in with the fashion side of work and it's happening. Fantastic. Then film. Yeah, I want to create, you know, films where I get to tell our stories mm. and I get to change the narrative again around how Muslims are perceived yeah. and, and create opportunities for Muslims because so many of us can't audition for roles and, and, and stuff because, you know, they don't consider certain things we can and cannot do, our dress, you know. Mm. So, OK, I want to be able to create things. So I'm not always, you know, mm. at the beck and call of someone else. But then when that happens, I... I've come to this new thing where people are like, oh yeah, we need to have like our own, you know, uh, just our own industry, our own Hollywood. You know, someone, there's a guy, Omar Regan, he's a comedian. Mm. Uh, he's also like a big bro. He's he's in LA and he's got something called Halaliwood, <laughs> which is really cool. And that's ultimately- That you know, is what really cool. Yeah. So I work with my friend, um, Isla is one of my closest friends to, to create content that is it's not targeted at us, but it's just made by us, you know. Is this the little videos that you skits. get, like, get the little skits yeah, where your big him. brother comes in and yeah, yeah, all yeah. of that? I was watching some of them, they're I funny. Yeah, that's, that's all him. They've so all got great. really good messages at the exactly. base of them, though. And through meeting him, that's where, because initially it was like, okay, am I going to be the only hijab-wearing presenter on TV again? Am I going to be the only one again? It's like, no, I don't want to... It has to be bigger than that. I can't mm. just be one person in, this, in the room. So I just need to create a room. Final question, the most important question I ask everyone on Influence Me, this question. What is the caption you want to leave with our audience today? And don't forget your hashtags. Um, so uh, it's not my quote, but nature does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. Oh, I, I love like that. that one. And hashtag, don't worry. <laughs> Be, Be happy. happy. <laughs> That's it. Love it, love it. Okay.
Guys, thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode. One of the conversations I think that really gets you thinking. I'm sure that naturally a huge portion of Maria's following are also from the Muslim community, but I urge you to step outside of your norm. Follow people you don't normally follow. You might just learn something. Give her a follow. Scrolling through her page from time to time and seeing the work that she does for charity and how she uses her platform for good always inspires me. So I always jump on there whenever I need a boost. If this episode has helped you in any way or you enjoyed listening, please do subscribe and rate this podcast wherever it is that you listen so that we can reach more people and open up the conversation when it comes to religion and also people just coming together as friends and colleagues whether they have the same belief system or not. Don't forget to share this with anyone in your life that you feel really might benefit from what we said today and what we've been talking about in today's episode. And if you do share on social media, I will be sure to give you a repost and hopefully Maria will too. Just give me a follow at Shaney underscore Ryan. Thank you for listening. I just wanted to say a mega thank you to our sponsors today, Kindred. Share what you love. Influence Me was written and presented by me, Shaney Ryan, and produced and edited by Dawn Kelly for Birdline Media. Follow them at Birdline Media and follow me on Instagram at Shaney underscore Ryan. Our theme music is by Jaylee Music. And if you like today's show, be sure to rate us wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks when you can catch my next special guest. <laughs>